Welcome back to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg of Altus Performance. And this week, we are very excited to share a conversation that Cameron and I recently had with European Tour star Matt Wallace. Matt has won four times in the European Tour, where for the last few years, he's been one of the best players on that tour. And our American listeners have certainly started to see his name pop up more and more on leaderboards on the PGA Tour. And he's got a really fascinating story that he shares with us where he started later in life, not really getting all that serious about golf until he was around 18 and then went to a small school here in the U.S. before going back to Europe and playing some of the mini tours. And in this really short time frame of about three and a half years, he goes from ranked 1200 in the world to the top 25. And it's, it's really interesting to hear Matt detail what the keys were to what was a really quick rise. And my biggest takeaway from the conversation was it's very clear that, that he's got a very intense drive, uh, hunger and desire for excellence. And it's really inspiring to hear Matt speak about it. And we went an hour and it, it flew by. I feel like we could have asked him. Uh, a lot more questions for maybe a couple more hours, but a really interesting guy. And if you're like us, this chat will get you fired up. Matt's passion is contagious. So without further delay, a quick word from our partner and on to episode 63 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Matt Wallace. The Total Golf Trainer line of products are designed to provide instant feedback for golfers of all skill levels to help solve a wide variety of swing issues. And we haven't really seen an issue that it can't solve from path issues to improving club face control and even body mechanics. Pretty much any issue that you have, the Total Golf Trainer can help. The 3.0 kit is the first multi-tool training aid that is completely custom to your golf swing with the easy-to-use adjustable training rods that can be attached to your club or your body, and you can increase or decrease the difficulty level so anyone from juniors to beginners to pros will all benefit. We've enjoyed getting creative to find all the different ways that we can use the Total Golf Trainer, and they've got some great videos on their website that show it in use. So to learn more and watch those videos on how to improve your game with the Total Golf Trainer, visit TotalGolfTrainer.com or find them on social media at Total Golf Trainer. But now, on to our episode. So Matt, a typical place we like to start is an origin story, and yours is... Uh... I mean, for lack of a better term, unique in terms of like when you look at uh, parents and junior golfers these days, one would categorize most parents as tiger parents, just overly intense and overly like wanting their kids to excel at golf because their parents missed out on something, right? But yet yeah. you came from a household where both of your parents were PE coaches or PE teachers and yeah. you played a variety of other sports. And you, I think I read correctly, you didn't specialize or really dedicate your time and your love, your passion into golf until you were 18 years old. Can you yeah. tell us your story? Yeah. Growing up in a household full of uh, like a sporty background, my dad was a very good rugby player to then went on to become a PE teacher. My mom was very good at um, field hockey and she was a triple jumper as well. And then she went on to become a physical education teacher. That's where they met. And then my sister's very good at netball and skiing. And then there was me, seven years younger than my sister, growing up, just playing every sport and loved it, loved everything. My parents were amazing. They never forced me to do anything, just gave me the opportunity to try everything. And I was probably better at cricket than I was at anything else. Mm -hmm. And I got to a high, my, the highest level I could get to at that point was county cricket and I was doing that at an age group that was above. So I was playing under 15 
cricket when I was 13 years old. So as a, as a I was, matter I was, of bowler, or a fielder, all rounder. I was a wicketkeeper batsman. Okay. So, but I was more of a tactical, I was more of a technician type person, like always thinking about who's going to bowl next, the field. I was always quite intense, at, like I am in, in golf. Like <laughs> I was quite on it all the time, sort of thing. So, I was captain. I went on to captain at my school and and do stuff like that. So I was all, I was I loved cricket. I really did. But golf was the individual sport. And it was the one where my dad could go and drop me off at the golf club. He could go to the bar and he'd leave me from eight until eight at night. And yep. it was me versus the golf course. And in, I mean, back in when I was playing 2000s, early 2000s, my dad didn't care about me really where I was. It was literally go out, play, do what you want. And I'll pick you up at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. And uh, I was hooked. I was seriously hooked. I loved it. I always wanted to play at the weekends. I had, I had Saturday school as well where, when I went to school. So we play football, hockey, cricket on Saturdays. So I'd miss a lot of Saturday golf, but Sunday was always golf. Mm-hmm. No matter no matter what, it was, Sunday was golf. What age are we and, talking about right yeah. now? Or, or what age period? So that was like 13, 14. Okay. Um, still playing cricket and stuff at a high level. Yeah. And then just carried on playing at school, playing golf at school got into county level sort of sort of um, stuff, but didn't really didn't really know that golf was ever going to be a thing. You just played it. You just didn't play. you didn't have any great players in your area or at your club that gave you aspirations to say, oh, that's a professional player and I can do that. Well, I had good players that played around me. I didn't know the older guys that were on tour or anything like that. I didn't really. So what was that? It would have been 97 I first knew about golf through Tiger. I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. But then I only started really watching it in about 2003 when I then got interested. So I was 13. So I didn't know any proper golfers, but Tom Lewis was a player at my uh, in my county. And he was just like the man. He was the top. He was the top in England. He was top in pretty much everything. And he was just way better than me. Yeah. Way better. So I had no aspirations to try and better him, sort of thing, because I didn't. I wasn't that that really interested, if I'm honest. Like in being better, sort of thing. I enjoyed it. I loved it. But it was only when I really, when I left school, when I was 18, when I was like, okay, I, I enjoy this. I, I enjoy playing. What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me a couple of years to really understand what I wanted to do, and that's when I made a choice to go over to America. Yeah, so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about myself uh, as if I was 18 years right now. Yeah. And what I'm wondering is how good were you when you were 18 years old to, I guess, have that confidence that you could decide that now I'm going to dedicate myself to a sport knowing that you didn't have the head start. In fact, you were running yeah. from behind, right? Yeah, massively behind. I wasn't that good. I wasn't good. What were you I was, I was scratched when I, like a couple of days before I was 17. Yeah. Because uh, my dad, he gave me the incentive of if I got to scratch when when I was whenever he'd buy me a car, and I got down to like one or two or one when I was sixteen. So I was like, and then he told me that, and it's amazing when I've had little like dangle of carrots in front of me. <laughs> when, whenever something like that happened, I really went for it. And there's stories in my in my life that when people have done those sort of things, I've really gone after it quite hard. So. And been fortunate enough to pull them off sometimes. So yeah, seventeen turns. I was scratched. I wasn't that good, if I'm honest. If in in the grand scheme of things, because I know how good you have to be now yeah. to be out on tour. Looking exactly. back, 
these are the good things that I can talk to younger guys and be like, how good do you have to be? And you, I, I just say to them, listen, you've got to be so good. Like, you have to be so good. Mm-hmm. So when I think of Rory coming out when he was 16, I'm like, she's that's serious. <laughs> As you were getting more serious about your pursuits in golf and specializing in golf, what did the instruction history look like as you were trying to make that leap and to say, I'm going to go play or I'm going to go to Jacksonville and play in college. What were you yeah. doing as far as seeking out instruction and coaching? It's funny because I, I had the chance, the opportunities to go and see PGA coaches. I had a coach at my golf club at the time, Bachelor of Park, who really gave me the, the stepping stones. So yeah, 13, 14, 15 hand eye coordination was great. So I was able to hit it. I was able to, the best part of my game at the time was chipping and putting because I had nice feel, nice touch. But I was hitting like flop shots from from the fringes of the greens, just like you would do as a kid. Yeah. And he played a couple times at, at Wentworth. Uh, his name was John Bevan. He played the PGA, so he qualified a couple times. Really good player. I think he's from New Zealand. And um, he taught me the sort of the ins and outs, early doors. And then I had nothing. I had a little bit of county coaching, but... I've posted some swings on social media before of my swing back in 2000 and as late as 2007. And that was when I was scratched. So 17 and it was just horrendous, <laughs> but it was, it was my swing and I could hit it. But now I understand why I was never that good yeah. sort of thing. And my technical side wasn't good enough, but I had that sporty background. I had that mentality of I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to win. Yeah. So up against it, or not not playing very well, I could grind out a score in in county golf or match play or whatever it may be. Yeah, I want to go back just real quick and ask a question about cricket and how you feel like batting and handling a flat paddle essentially yeah. and maneuvering a ball 360 degrees around you as yeah. you're waiting for the bowler to deliver the ball um, helped you develop that face awareness in golf that caused you to be able to take what you might agree on here would be something that wasn't technically sound as an 18 or 17 year old and still get the job done. I was technically very good, a very good batter. I was technically a very good batter. I was a great wicketkeeper. I could stand up to most bowlers. So the ball coming down really fast, like a catcher in baseball, they're, they're right there sort of thing. But the ball's bouncing, you know, it's always bouncing. So it's always on the up normally when you're keeping. So my hand-eye coordination was was really good. Technically, I was very sound. I had no tutoring on that. So that was very natural to me. And that's the difference I feel with my golf to cricket was cricket was very easy for me, whereas golf was not easy for me to become better sort of thing. I was a very good cover driver. So kind of the complete opposite to a, to a golf swing where I'm letting my hands and arms go away from me, yep. whereas golf is all coming across. But I didn't find it difficult to separate the two. I could play on a Saturday in cricket and then go and play golf on a Sunday, and it it didn't affect me. So I was very fortunate there. But, yeah, I, I loved it. I haven't played cricket in ages. I miss it quite a bit. <laughs> well, next time we, get, yeah, we see each other, yeah. I'll, I'll have a ball and bat in my hand, and we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll roll a few over. A question that we had from our Instagram I guess, query on what questions the viewers or our fans would like to ask you and fans of you, therefore. Uh, And a question that I had, uh, interestingly enough, was your decision and the contrast, the decision that is, you came to America to play college golf, you only stayed a year, 
Yeah. So that's one side of it. And the other side is you've seen the national side, a national team or a national organization that's produced a resurgence, if you will, in English golf, right? Um, yeah. So contrast those two. Why did you decide to come to college? And then for those that are out there, either whether they're uh, English or in the UK or European or they have national associations or national teams, how did you weigh and balance uh, that choice? I'd always, for some reason, American sports, American golf, the college system had always sort of been there in my head that I wanted to, something I wanted to do badly. It's one of those fantasies that you, you kind of go, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to go out and play there, play college golf against the best in the world. Um, you're playing amazing courses and the system of college golf and learning. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that it was it was five o'clock alarms, lots <laughs> of weights. You do a lot of a lot of work until one o'clock and then you grind in practicing until seven o'clock and then you got homework. And then if you want any sort of social life, you're getting back up at five o'clock in the morning. So understand that. So I was at Jacksonville State in Alabama. Um, where Danny Willett went to, he was there a couple of years before me, a very international school, but in the middle of nowhere. And I was, my dad loved it. He thought, right, you've had two years off. So I was 18 to 20. I did nothing, basically. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. So I played a bit of golf. I did a bit of, well, I did a lot of going out, a lot of drinking. There you go, attaboy. Uh, I, I just didn't know what to do. And I had the opportunity to go out there and play. I was okay. I played. I did some decent stuff. I had some good results, and then England golf came to me, and because I had a good summer, they were like, "Do you want to be? Do you want to be part of the England um, elite squad?" So that was skipping all of the the ranking stuff to go straight into the men's side, mm-hmm. and I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" I've always wanted to represent my country, and. Um, it's bad to say, but I think it, it was. I was probably at the wrong school because I went there and I became the number one golfer in my first year, in my freshman year, and I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted to be around people who would be- make me better, and I felt like if I'm going to be the number one, I'm not going to push myself as much as I'd want myself to sort of thing. So they were like, England were like, we'll send you to Argentina, we'll send you to Czech Republic, Ireland, and they promised me that, and I was like, Okay, I was probably at the wrong school anyway. I didn't want to redshirt and go somewhere else. I didn't want to go to a, a bigger school and sit out. So I decided to make the decision. And it was a tough one because my parents were like, you realise this means you're going to have to become a golfer now. Um, <laughs> There's no going my, back you, from this. You've got no backup here. <laughs> and I was like, I think I gave them a promise. I said, I'll do whatever I can to succeed. Mm-hmm. And they, they loved that. So yeah, a really tough time. England golf, to be fair, for a year. Let me dig deeper into the England golf side with so much yes. success. What do you feel like England golf provided you? Or more more generally, what do you feel like England golf have done so well to produce the talent they've produced in recent years or in the last decade? I find it mental how many good English players there are on on yeah. in the worldwide golf. I just It's unbelievable. The system is amazing. I really think the ability to... Our golf courses and golf clubs are just amazing for junior golf. They really look after us massively. I remember I was at Battery Park and then I moved to Moore Park when I came back from America. Moore Park was the top club in my county, pretty much, and amazing scratch team. So the scratch team was fantastic. You're always playing it like every weekend. You're playing a great, 
great match against some of the best players in the county. And the golf course is fantastic for, for where we live. You know, the conditions are great. But I think it's a mentality thing. I think it has to be. I think we're always seen as probably the underdogs, but we're always, for me, we have to go and practice in the bad weather. We have to, because over here in the States, you've got great weather, so you can go and practice in the great facilities and all that. Whereas in England, the weather's not that good, but you've still got to go out there and grind. You know, you've still got to go and do it. So it toughens you up. It physically makes you mentally stronger. And there's nothing worse than waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, knowing how cold it's going to be outside. <laughs> and you know you're going to have to go and pound 200 balls or whatever to get you, to get you good. Um, so this is why whenever I wake up in Dubai and I've, got, I've, I've laid out my shorts the night before, <laughs> that I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm the happiest person in the world. Because even if it rains, it's going to be hot. So it's, um, it's nice. Yeah. So moving past uh, England golf and into your time in the Alps tour, I'm curious because it was obviously foundational in your development and you, you had some winning experiences there. But before we, we go into that, I think it would be good for our American listeners if we didn't lose them when we talked cricket, <laughs> just to explain, like explain the Alps tour just so the listener can understand that experience versus what we understand here in America as the mini tour experience, because yeah. the, amount of travel um, is probably a little different than what many of us would expect. I've always tried to say when someone's asked me, especially an, an American asked me, so what is this Alps tour? And I'm like, there used to be a Hooters tour, didn't there? The Hooters <laughs> yeah, tour sure. was a, a mini tour. We've got another one in the UK called the Euro Pro. So it's a, it's a satellite tour, a feeder tour, and there's about four or five of them in Europe to the challenge tour. So it's the third division, basically. It's it's one you can qualify to pretty pretty easily. I mean, I must. I think top thirty in the qualifying over four days. I think you have to be plus five on a relatively tough golf course, so it's not easy. But around about that score, so you can you can make it. And then the reason I chose the Alps Tour was because of that. The travel over, say, EuroPro, which is all pretty much the UK, which you can drive to. It's very very quite easy easy on your brain easy on to travel there by car you know exactly where to stay you know what food you can eat because you know the restaurants and it's just all comfortable whereas i tell you playing in tunisia or yeah. playing in <laughs> egypt uh, i know it's called the alps tour but they had to find places for us to play i've played in egypt to tunisia which is obviously africa i've done uh, israel I've played up in the mountains, really, on the Alps in Switzerland, which was crazy. Italy, Spain, France, Luxembourg, just all the most, but not not normal. So in Italy, you wouldn't be going to Rome. We wouldn't be going to Milan. We'd be going to Chavigna. Uh, we'd be going to places that you've just never heard of. Right. And you've got you've got to get there somehow. And you're you're rocking up in the middle of this town. And nobody knows what you're saying in English. So you've got to learn some Italian for bread and milk and stuff like that. It's a nice so it's survival test. Exactly. So, but that, it, it's true, but it, it makes you tougher again. You know, it, it makes, you, makes you understand that this game isn't just handed to you on a, on a silver, silver plate sort of thing, you know. So One of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. 
Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. Can I pull on that thread of tougher? And we often talk about it uh, related to a phrase called reaction to challenge. In the first year on the Alps Tour, your scoring average was 71.89. The second year was 71.84. Not exactly an improvement, right? Um, or a marginal one at best. And my, and my results, my results showed, showed that. I was really working hard. I was working hard with my coach at the time. What did it look like? And I what does that hard work look I, like? I wanted to improve. So it was at Moore Park. So it was at back in England. And what we had there was a double-ended range, but on a slope. Good putting green. No real short game green. Two golf courses, one easy course called the West Course, one called the High Course. High Course, great golf course off the back. They used to hold the Wang Four Stars there back in the day. Great golf course. I was a grinder. I love, I like, I love to practice. So it was working on the range at the time, not like a little bit on the swing, mm-hmm. just a little bit, but working on trying to hit different shots. And yeah, it, it sounded good, but it wasn't right for me at the time. Yeah. And so you made a change, yes? You made a decision to go somewhere else? So that's two years of doing the same sort of stuff, going, mm, it's not working. And then 2000 and the end of 2016 was the, was the turning point in my career, really. I remember playing in Italy. I was in the final group or in the, in the second, no, second last group playing with my good friend, Tom Shabbolt. And I just decided that day because I, like, I felt like I was swinging it nice. I felt I'm going for it today. So I hit driver everywhere mm-hmm. on a, on a really tight golf course, and I was six under, and I was leading with two holes. Two, I was two clear with two holes to go, and I bogeyed the par three, seventeen, decent tee shot, chip and missed the putt from six feet. No bother, one clear, one to go. Felt great, drove it fantastic all day. I've got the whole of Italy to the left of me, <laughs> and I've got out of bounds up the right hand side, and in my head, no bother, under pressure. Swing straight right, out of bounds. Double bogey, lost the tournament by one. Uh, obviously, I was in the car with my mate Tom, who I'd play with. We got in the car, straight to the airport, sitting next to each other on the plane, didn't talk, got off the plane. As I said goodbye to him, I said, mate, I can't do this anymore. And he goes, yeah, mate, I saw that, but big deep. And then so that was the turning point in my life where I was like, I can't carry on doing this. I need to change something. So I really had to learn about myself and it was, I felt really good, felt amazing. Like I wasn't under pressure mentally or anything. It was, it was all physical technique. So I saw, I, I went after a, a, a technical coach, Matt Belsham, and I rocked up to his in December of 2016 and he said, you must be a good chipper and putter. <laughs> your swing is shit. And I was like, and for, Slap for in the face, that, right? And this, exactly. But this is someone who's teaching guys out on tour. So, and I've never, oh, I've had that, I had that before, but I'd never had it to an extent of just a, a slap in the face. And I was shocked and I was, it brought me back down to earth. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of went, it was kind of like, you need to grind. You need to get on this. Otherwise, you're never going to go anywhere. So that was the turning point in my career and changed my technique. And that's why I've always been more of a technical player because. I want to keep up on it. And I've had success from that. Can we dig into that technical a little bit? Because, you know, and I've, I've observed you on European tour ranges and 
you know, Matt Belsham does have that reputation for being a wonderful technical coach. Now you're with Robert yeah. Rock, who obviously swings it as sound technically as anybody. Yeah. So we can assume he's a wonderful technical coach. What were the changes that you saw? Because typically when we hear someone in that situation where they came down to the last and they needed to make a par to win, they're going to blame it on the the mental or the pressure the got me. But oh, like, yeah. yeah, but you're like, no, I was good. I felt really, really good. And it was the technique yeah. that let me down. So let's go down that rabbit hole of technique to understand what the changes you made were. Yeah, going back to that, I, I, it's the first time I've ever felt, because I've always, like you say, you always try and relate it to the mental side and you go, ah, oh, the pressure got to me, I, I was nervous, whatever. I genuinely felt, um, but that's why I was so gutted. I genuinely felt great. And I thought, oh, it's just technical that let me down. And it's amazing how it did that. But then, like I said, I had to learn about myself and learn what I needed to do better. And that was the technical side. So the first day with Matt Belsham, he's gone. He coaches at a, a very small, he's very, he's an odd character, Matt, but he's one of the best guys in the world. And it's a place called White Hill. It's about an hour and 20 minutes away from me. Luckily, it was about 20 minutes away from my girlfriend. So he was, he was like, right, come at two o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, okay. So I got there at 1.30 to make sure. And I'm in there and we're grinding away a little bit. And the first thing, like you said, swings shit. They need to get it right. So as he works, he works through the, the Morad sort of stuff with Mac O'Grady and positions, positions in the swing. So he showed me loads of pictures that's what we first did. We went through a load of sheet of work for about half an hour going this, this, and this, and this. And then he goes, right, swing it. And he's like, right, P2. Standing next to me, as you would. We were in there for maybe six hours of going through positions. And I was hooked. I was just, I loved it. And I didn't know all the technical terms at the time. I was just absolutely hooked. And then he said, go away, work on that position, and don't come back to me until you've got it. And so that hardened me up as well because, I, I mean, you must have got so many videos, Cameron, from people going, is this any good? And you're like, and you don't want to lie, but you kind of go, well, no, go work <laughs> on it. Come to back to me when you've actually got it. Oh, without like, doubt, yeah. The don't worst side bit, I want you to actually have it. So, yeah, it took me a while to, to actually go back to him, maybe two weeks so they go, oh, I've got it. And he's like, yeah, you got it. Right, next position, that sort of thing. I, I love that story. It's fantastic. But one thing that I'm really interested in understanding is why you loved it. Was it because it produced immediate results or was it because it was so different than what your experience with coaches was prior yeah. to that? It was different. So I could only think it was going to be an improved results, right, yeah. I've always been down the road of, the technical side is going to help me produce the ball flight. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not one to really want to believe in the ball going in where I want it to go to. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, oh, I really want it to go there. <laughs> okay. That's, that means nothing to me. Like you, yeah, you want that, yeah. but you've got to produce, you've got us like sup up and put a proper good technical move on it for it to happen. So yeah. I loved having set positions because I felt like I could, always go back to that in like thinking forward if i was going to go and play in a tournament and i didn't feel too good on the morning of a, of a tournament i could have a look look at the swing and i can go okay that position's slightly out yeah let's let's feel an exaggerated move for that today and yeah. i'll be able to get it round and then we'll look at it after the round or something like that yeah, those positions serve as roadmaps right and you know where to turn yeah. left you know where to turn right you know where to hit exactly. the gas and or hit the brakes yeah i love it it's like it's just like the putting map from uh, phil kenyon you know 
the the my template where it's got the lines and the and the arc yeah it's something that you can relate to it doesn't you don't have to be perfectly on it but if you can relate to something then you, you can go back to that if you don't feel quite quite comfortable sure sure so trauma brought you to that point that point of capitulation where you said i need to make a change i need to do something different and that something different was seeking out a technical coach to build a structure, a scaffold, and um, yeah. a swing that would hold up under more pressure. Uh, I get that. Yeah. And that yeah. that moment or that period of time you went through where you had to get outside the bottle to read a label, didn't you? It's hard to read that label when you're sitting yeah. inside the bottle, right? And so that reflection yeah. is an important process. What did you go through to decide to move on from Matt to now be with Robert and his guys? Well, it was Matt. <laughs> it was it was his decision to actually uh, i'm sure there's some more underlying reasons why but he felt like he said i've got you to the european tour which he did we we won in portugal mm -hmm. i played a few events on tour and he was like i've got you to the european tour i want you to i, I want you to go and flourish now like, i want you to go away and, and do it yourself sort of thing so we worked so hard bearing in mind he's taken me from a, a mini tour plan like you say doing nothing to winning six times that next year, winning the uh, co-sanction event to get my European tour card. Within a space of a year and a half, we're on the European tour. Right. And then by the end of that year, I've I've managed to make it to the last two events. So kind of similar to the tour championships. I didn't make it to Dubai, but I went got down to South Africa. And that was playing half a season. And I've managed to do that. So I understand the decision from him. I was gutted at the time, but I think it's 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 been great for me because it's a blessing in disguise. I feel because I've had one of the best coaches I feel around now. He's still un understated because he's a player, mm -hmm. but the knowledge that Rocky's given me as a player is just, you, sometimes you just can't get that. Like not all coaches have played against Tiger and beaten him, sort of thing. Right. So. When I was playing against Tiger at the Open, the apart from the swing stuff that he gave me, he goes, "Listen, everyone's there to watch him. <laughs> Don't beat around the bush. They're what they're there to watch him. They're going to move when you're playing, and also he's not there to watch you. He, he's worried about his game, so you've got to play your game." And I watched him off the first tee, and that was it. I didn't. I, <laughs> I, I, I very rarely watched him play, but man, it was cool to play with him. Yeah, I bet we might pull on that thread a little later. Uh, credit where credit's due, you mentioned the wins, and I want to just highlight the work that you did uh, with the help of Matt and yeah. the scoring average difference, because it's absolutely uh, astounding. The scoring average went from 71.84 in 2014 to 70.43 in 2016, sorry, 2015, to 67.5 in 2016, which is that year you won five in a row in six total events and, and graduated. And then in a short period of time after that, one in Portugal. At what point in time did you have that, oh, pinch me moment? Is this for real? I was rolling with it quite well. I managed to play two European tour events before I'd ever played a challenge tour event. So I went from winning three times in a row on the, on, or five times in a row on the Alps tour to then playing two European tour events. And I was in fourth place after Friday, thinking this is this is a piece of piss. This is <laughs> in, in in Sweden, and I was tied with Lee Westwood in fourth. And I was like, "This is amazing! I'm going to play with Lee." Like Texting very far. <laughs> exactly. My dad was there. I had a I had a professional caddy on the bag, but my dad was there, and we we were just loving it. But the energy levels from doing all of that the weekend was an absolute 
massive dive. So learning from that, I think I finished 50th and then I missed the cut in, in the next week in uh, Austria. But then I went back on the Alps tour, somewhere where I was comfortable. Obviously, I was confident. Uh, I was playing well. And it was the first event my family had been to and the only event they've ever seen me win at. But I then won and won the, won the final event on the Alps tour, which is probably my favourite win so far, doing it in front of them. We went down that road of technical and how it improved, which is we love to go down that road as coaches. Yeah. It's exciting to understand what got better. But when, as Cameron mentioned, your scoring average goes to 67.5 and you won six times. And then, you know, I follow the European tour pretty closely. And in 2018, when you win three times and you're on the top of a lot of leaderboards, then continue that on in 2019. And you're playing, you know, you're at the top of the race to Dubai at the very yeah. end of the season, a couple of good events, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open. As a coach, I want to think that it was the technical that got so much better. But Cameron and I know so many people, and Robert knows so many people, and Matt Belsham knows so many people who technically are really, really good, but not they're not achieving those types of results. So there has yeah. to be some soft skills that improved as you learned how to win. So I'm curious yeah. if, if you notice any big improvements from the mental side or the tactical side that also led to that, because winning is a skill. It's not just hitting really yeah. good golf shots. You've got to understand some things to win. Yeah. yeah, it's great that you asked that question because I don't, I don't get these types of questions in normal generic podcasts and stuff like that. Of, oh, tell us how it's done. Technique obviously got better. I won a lot of times on my own on the Alps Tour, and then I had the opportunity to work with Dave McNeely, who – he won 31 times before we got together. So, you know, when you, when you have someone who has that much experience, that gives you confidence and that gives you the know-how of, I remember him saying to me in Denmark, two years before we won it, or the year before we won it, he was like, you've got to do two things, Matt. I've watched you enough now. I think we must have been on, he must have been on the bag for maybe four weeks. He was like, you need to drive it well and putt and putt well and we'll win tournaments and putting was never a problem for me I've never been shy of putting technical side has come better Mike Kansky my putting coach works under Phil Kenyon has been amazing I've been with him for four years but Dave really really stepping me up a level a gear of what I needed to do better at and that was driving I love my stats but at the time I didn't know what my stats were so all I had to do was drive it better by hitting that that shot that that he wanted me to hit i love hitting a fade we call it the wall so we put a wall up the left hand side and we hit it down it and then it fades off it quite naturally for me rather than how i used to try and fade it was hit it into the wall and overcut it or if the face was too square to the path it would be left or if i overcut it it'd be short because the distance and all that so that massively improved, massively, massively. I felt like I was an amazing driver in 2018-19. Stats probably don't show that, but we sometimes were aiming for for rough. You know, we were sometimes aiming for bunkers if it meant we could get the driver in the hand. You know, mm -hmm. so brilliant caddy. That was a massive help. But I've always said three things, and Chubby, my manager, has always backed me up on this. He said he knows loads of players, and as a manager and managing the best players, he's seen it all. But the best players that he's ever managed have three things, and that is heart, head, and bollocks. Yeah. You know, big, big cojones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've got to have some cojones about you. So, and I feel like I've got all of those in abundance where 
if you put me up against the ropes, I'm not not scared to come out fighting and come out swinging. You know, I wanna I want that. Whereas some players who have the skills and have the the technical side might lack that. So then they can't flourish in that sort of situation. Get me in a playoff, and I'm I'm all for that. Like I'd love that. I want to I want to be there. All right, there's a lot to unpack there, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. So if yeah. I'm if I'm listening right now, and I'm an aspiring player, and I want to do what Matt Wallace has done, which is go from 1,200 in the world to 23 in the world, and you just said yeah. I need bullocks, I I need the balls, I need the balls. So let's talk like nature versus nurture. Is that something that you feel yeah. like innately that was just part of you? You've had it in every single, we talked cricket earlier, you've had that in you, or is that something that has developed over time or you can give some advice that says, Hey, here's what you need to do to develop this. Or, or was it your support system? Was it parents and coaches that helped instill some of that in you? Yeah. Parents have always been the forefront of being positive, being aggressive, like, um, to end everything I attack, everything I do, be confident in in, in my ability and to, to to be able to do it. So that's massive to get that from them. Growing up at school, some of my mates, I've I've said it in interviews before, where I, I probably wasn't the nicest guy at school in sporting terms because I wanted it so much. And they were like, it's only a football match, guys. Like, yeah. they're like, it's only, they're like, they'd be like, it's only a football match. Why do you care so much? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to win so badly. And they, I'd kind of not have a go, but I'd be on their case all the time of, come on, come on, let's, come on, let's do this. Come on. And they'd be like, chill out. But that's why I maybe went down the individual side to, to a game because I couldn't get people on the same level of my of 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 wanting want, right? yeah desire to, you know wanting to to win so badly and then there's other ty- there's other parts like practice you guys will know like i i love putting myself under pressure in practice so then you're learning to do that before you get onto the golf course so i learned that from my first year on the Alps tour watching other pros basically doing lots of drills on the putting green where You've got 20 putts, four to eight feet. I know Donald does this quite a lot. And you get down to that last putt and you've got to make 15 out of 20 or 16 out of 20, wherever it may be, your, your own sort of level. And if you miss that putt, you've got to start again. And man, it, that, that makes you want to get better. You know, that gives you the drive and the, the balls, let's mm-hmm. say, to knock it in. And then you go out on the golf course and you've already done it. So you can do it again. Right. So you, you speak to that intensity and that fire, and sometimes that can be interpreted as running a little bit hot, and that can, that can look from an outside observer as anger. And as coaches, yeah. whenever we're talking to players, the popular sports psychology is saying, let's stay positive, let's have really positive self-talk, and obviously there's a lot of merit to that. But a question that we ask our players when they're dealing with maybe what is perceived as anger issues is, to ask themselves in the moment is will anger help this moment? And as, yeah. as you are a fiery competitor, do you feel like there are times where anger on the golf course is actually something that's helpful or is it exclusively a deterrent in those uh, pressure filled moments? Back in the day, back in amateur days, I'd say I didn't understand, understand it. I didn't understand the fire. I didn't understand probably why I got angry and I didn't understand how to control it. So, yeah, definitely back in the day, it would affect me. But nowadays, 
if I run hot, if I do whatever. I remember the first thing that Dave said to me when he wanted to caddy for me, he was like, don't you ever lose that fire because I don't want to work for someone who doesn't care. I want to work for someone who cares so much, as much as I do, that I know they're giving it everything. So whenever I run hot, whenever I do that, I haven't and I can't remember to the life of me if it's ever affected my next shot. I'm so in that next shot, it's it's scary. So, yeah, get really pissed off, get annoyed. And uh, I've never broken I've never broken a golf club on a course, which people might find a little strange. But I've never broken. <laughs> I, I almost broke one today. Well, Cameron and I yeah. had a very nice, friendly round. That's good to know. Corey did lose four and three, by the way. Just uh, uh, for those at home, keeping count. Yeah, so, so, how do you flick that switch? How do you move from I've vented, and now the most important thing that I can do right now is focus and give all of my intensity to this next shot. I think I've never had strategies. I've never had been told how to do it. I've just had to learn how mm-hmm. to do it. So I know for a fact that that next shot is way more important than what's gone on. Does venting actually get me more intense? I'd probably say it does. Does it narrow my focus to make that next shot better? Pro- it probably does. So I'd say it kind of helps me sometimes. The one place it doesn't help, which I've come to know, is if you are having a bad day and thoughts then start to go through your mind a little bit faster than say if you're a little bit more calmer if you had a different strategy that's why i've always asked my caddies if say we've got off to not the best start with three over through five let's reset a target Mm -hmm. let's go back to level par because then i can reset my emotions rather than if i'm still trying to think of shooting five under if i miss a putt on that next hole well my emotions are kind of going to go out the way so But if I miss that putt on the next hole and I'm still got a relatively sensible mind score, my mindset's going to be different. It'd be like, well, I played that hole really well. Let's use that momentum. Yeah, it's brilliant. So there's, there's ways of kind of understanding and understanding the situation more than anything, I'd say. Yeah, it's a brilliant advice. Uh, another one that we oftentimes get is players from high-level professionals all the way down to amateur players trying to cut their teeth in junior golf is what happens when I warm up garbage and we talk mm. about having a shit hits the fan plan. Yeah. Does yeah. Matt Wallace ever face a situation where you just don't have it on the range? And if so, what do you go to? I've had one good warm up in my career. One. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I just don't see it as a priority. I don't see it as something that I've ever thought about. And it was recent, actually it was, it was the British masters. Saturday of British Masters, final group. So I was obviously playing well, and I, I just didn't miss a shot on the range. I was like, wow, that's that was unreal. And then I started birdie, 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 par birdie. So I was four under through five. And I thought, well, I'm going to shoot 59 today. But end of, like, simple. Um, and it's good because lessons tell you that I get, I'm not, I'm, if I ever get off to that start and I'm feeling that good, I'm never going to think of that because I didn't hit the number. I think I must have shot 66 or 65, whatever. But thinking that and thinking that positively affected my score in that day. So mm-hmm. lear- I learned from that, which is a good thing. But yeah, I've only ever had one good warm up, one really good warm up, you know. The rest have just been as they are, warm ups, you know. I've got my strategy. I had a great story the other day from my putting coach, Mike Kansky, who did a bit of coaching with Colin Montgomery. And he said t- he hits two shots with every club in his warm up. And it doesn't matter if it's a snap hook, shank, whatever it was. And this is in his heyday. 
it was always two, and that was it. If the if the second shot was a shank, whatever, doesn't matter. Move he on. knows that he, his skill set on the course is going to be good enough to then produce. So I've tried to incorporate something like that into my warm-up. Um, I haven't quite nailed it yet because I always kind of strive away a little bit from that. And you know, I was telling you about my technical side that sometimes gets in the way where if I hit one bad shot, I'll think about it and I'll want to video it. Yeah. So this is why I'm learning from some of the best people around to do my work prior to the tournament. And then I can freewheel it and, and play my good golf. You mentioned something getting off to a hot start and uh, the tournament that you described having your one great warm-up or one good warm-up. You also did the same thing at the PGA Championship last year at Bethpage. In fact, you had a streak starting off the first round where, what, you were four or five under through the first six holes. Yeah. And then you did the same thing, I think, in the second round, maybe on the back nine, where you made six birdies in seven holes. What's the mindset when things are going really well to not get in your way? That's a question we so often get asked. I think the difference between, say, coming up through the ranks, challenge tour, I remember I shot in Portugal, the co-sanction event, I shot 10 under the first day and then seven under the second day. So the courses lend yourself to carry that momentum on and have a lot of birdies. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the PGA Tour, European Tour, some courses really don't allow for that. You'll have holes which pars are just unbelievable scores you'll have pin positions where you've got to hold a 30 foot for birdie and that's the only way you're going to make birdie sort of thing so is that realistic probably not the eight foot sawgrass springs to mind you know if you're five five six under through seven holes there and you step up on the eighth and the pins back right well you you're aiming middle of the green as a great a fantastic shot and then you're kind of two putting you know you don't want to give one back so par there you're gaining on the field pretty mm-hmm. much and then you got the par five so yeah, you can't just keep your foot down. That's what I'm saying. And and so I've learned that if I get off to a hot start, I'll probably try and accumulate birdies. I'll try and pick them off rather than keep them going because I know then if I try and keep going, I'll drop back into the field. Yeah, cool. I, I love stat, I love stats. Like I like I like thinking about all right, I've picked up one and a half there, or yeah. I've hit the fair, I've hit the fairway here and I've gained half a stroke by hitting the, this hard fairway. Yeah. So little bits like that give me confidence rather than thinking, oh, birdie, birdie, birdie all the time. It's fascinating how world-class players came to the came to come to similar insights. And Corey's got a question I'll let him uh, ask here in just a, just a tick. But what I wanted to follow that with is Inby Park, one of the best female players, in fact, if not the best female player of all time, has shares that same attitude, that same mindset. And she thinks of uh, she's just banking these things up because eventually they are. she's going to face a difficult hole or they are going to run out. And yeah. so she appreciates just collecting these things from it's hole like after storing hole. like nuts, isn't it? Like exactly. a squirrel. Store, yeah. store them like nuts, put them away um, for that hard day uh, where you can ch- chow them down. Right. Well, building on those good rounds, like the, you, you mentioned the round at Hillside or the two rounds at Hillside at the end and, and Beth Page and even the rounds that you win, selfishly, because we ask our clients this all the time, we ask them to tell us what is your best performing self look like like if i was an observer what would i see in your best performing self when you were playing your best golf and then we kind of unpack it further of what are you thinking during those times so just because i want to build up that library of reference points from world-class players for our clients to reference what would it look like to an outside observer as far as just physical body language when you're at your best 
What does it look like? It's funny because my manager, Graham, who comes with me to every event, he'll come off some days or when I've won and he goes, that was great, that was great. And I'd be like, yeah, that, that was good, but still not the best that I can do. And he's, he's gobsmacked like that, like Denmark, where I birdie eight of the last 10 to win in the playoff and stuff like that. And he was like, that's amazing. I was like, yeah, that was me, but still not the best sort of me. You know, I can still be better. So uber confident sort of character. I'm not, I'm not a self-confident person myself, which is a lot of people find it strange, but the people around me obviously know that, but I, I get my, I get my kicks. I get my confidence from working hard, playing well, obviously from that and then running with it. So you'll see on the golf course from me, you'll see passion, you'll see fire, you'll see determination. You'll see me controlling my drive. I'll hit even on dog legs left to right, uh, right to left, sorry. I'd still hit that that wall shot where it'd finish with a fade. I hit that and then a square up shot, which isn't a draw, it's just a straighter shot. Those are the two shots that I feel like I have in the bank all the time. Iron players improving massively now because of that. And then using that fire and passion to get me out of like hard spots, difficult spots that I've been in. And those are the times that get the momentum, keep the momentum going in your rounds. You know, you've hit, you've hit your bad shot in a round. I can get this up and down and then I can go again. So, yeah, that's what that's the best me, I'd say. The best me is the guy who control the driver show the passion and fire that I haven't been able to do in the last six, seven months because my technique side hasn't been there. I mean, it's all gearing up to play in the Ryder Cup, isn't it? It's all just gearing up. <laughs> hopefully we get to play it by the end of this year. Yeah, hopefully it happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you talked about playing great, but yet coming off the golf course and feeling like you haven't played to the full potential of Matt Wallace golf, and I can appreciate yeah. that because I've had similar conversations with other players. I feel like in this conversation, you've given me the best version of Matt Wallace. Uh, <laughs> great answers that our listeners are just going to uh, gobble up. So to not want to take up more of your time in this evening, but to finish with some quick hits, what's the most difficult round of golf you've played and why? It's difficult to think of ones because I'm, I'm trying to think whether the, the leading a tournament or fighting your swing at a time where you're in a good place in, mm. in, in the tournament. Those are going. probably the hardest ones. You know, the ones where you, you've, you've chipped and putted unbelievably well, but you know your swing isn't quite there and you're playing a really tough golf course that you could quite easily shoot 85 on if, if it goes the way you probably think it will do. Mm -hmm. So those are the times where I'm very open. I'm very open with my team and I'll be like, listen, I'm not feeling great at all. Can we, little game plan, little change of game plan. One sprung to mind, actually, Masters last year. I had a horrendous preparation all week. I've learned from it. It was, it was brilliant to learn from. But Monday, I got there Sunday, played with Sir Nick Fowler on the Sunday. He invited me down to play. Amazing. Monday, I grinded with Rocky and went and played nine holes. Tuesday was a whitewash. It was, it was wiped out by the rain. And then Wednesday, I played with Rory for nine holes, which great. We'll never play with him before, but great. Unbelievable to play with him. Probably a terrible move because he's hitting high bomb draws over bunkers that I can't sniff. <laughs> and then he just said to me after nine, he said, come on, go, let's go win this together. And I was like, that's cool. Went and did a bit more grinding because I didn't feel comfortable with my swing. And then I went and played the par three tournament, which I won, which gave me massively false hope. <laughs> uh, and I remember texting Rocky that night and my team saying, I'm going to be the first person ever to win the, both the par three and the tournament itself. 
So it gave me false hope, you know, but I'd done all of that Monday to Wednesday before even the tournament started, you know, and then wake up Thursday, obviously a buzz into play and I'm paired with Bernard Langer and an amateur and Bernard Langer has just made me look like an amateur. Basically. <laughs> um, he's just like chipped it around with a driver. But I think it's, again, it's a blessing in disguise because I, I saw a way that I can play the golf course without having to hit a driver. So it was, I left that week. I missed cut. I didn't have a three with that week. Well, I had it in the bag, but I, I didn't feel comfortable with it. But I felt comfortable with the driver. So I was hitting driver, but my swing wasn't good enough. So uh, I didn't have the skill set there. And I took away from that. I said, I can play really well around here, but I need a backup. I need a three wood. Um, where if I don't feel comfortable, second hole, let's say, where you kind of need a draw to keep it inside that trap. Um, I can hit three wood and a long iron, maybe three wood, three wood into that down get it down there and chip and putt for birdie rather than me having to try and hit a driver which brings in left trees and the bunker if i'm not going to draw it which i probably won't do so there's loads of little moments that i take from playing with these types of guys especially if they've had a good round that i can learn from and i'm still doing that today and i'm buzzing hopefully we can get back there because i've got a different game plan to when i first went there love it all right, last question that we have, and, and this is my favorite question that we ask our guests because it gives the the widest range of answers. And I'm especially interested in yours because we've mm-hmm. spent almost an hour talking about how you're more inclined technically than than most. And so yeah. swing thoughts. When you go play golf and you're leaving yeah. the range and you're going to the golf course, we just talked to Webb Simpson a couple of days ago, and he said, no, no swing thoughts. I just look at the target. Really? And and but okay. like I said, we get this I, I wide see, range see, of yeah. answers. I played with Webb, and I was, I was, I mean, unbelievable. And I've taken a lot from him that he plays his own game, and it's very difficult to do. I'd say sometimes it's very difficult to. I, I see so on social media and videos, you see so many people where you go, oh, "I'd love that, I'd love that position," blah blah blah. But actually, I'm starting to learn that I need to start loving my own swing. Yeah, there you go. And that's exactly what he does, right. and he's amazing at at that and he's one of the best wedge players in the world and he's a great putter so i can get why he says that and he says oh he just feels it for me it's very, it's pretty simple um <laughs> i say that it's probably not but if i can get my backswing kind of nailed the rest is it's history the rest is perfect like I, i've never had to do too much with the downswing um i always hit the positions that i need to do but my issue is that it gets too outside my hands at p2 so the way I get it to the club face on the, on the hands at P2 is by having a nice slow tempo. And you see my tempo kind of change over, over the course of time, but really nice, slow tempo. So my right arm can fold properly hits P2 up to the top, nice and short, not too long. And then far away. The best times I've ever swung it is when I've swung it as slow as I possibly can. And I, I still hit it the same distance, you know, so it's hard to do, though, when you've got a top-end number and you know you really got to hit it good. But the best uh, best shots I've ever hit are probably the ones where I've smoothed it. Okay, well, I looked down at our timer, and we're at the hour mark. And I'm I'm only wrapping yeah. up because out of respect for your time, I know that we've got, like, at least another hour and a half of, of questions we could ask you. We really we'll really we'll have two. to do another one. We have to yeah. do part two. Yeah. Well, we'll hopefully next time with some two. beers in person. Hopefully we get busy enough in the coming weeks where we've got tournaments to prepare for. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but 
uh, yeah, we're looking forward for the opportunity to cheer you on, man. I really, really appreciate the time. I know that everyone that listens is going to learn a lot from, uh, from all that you shared. So, uh, until next time, hopefully we get a round two, uh, we'll do it again, but we appreciate your time, Matt. Thanks guys. Cheers, Matty. All right, mate. See you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. We're also pretty active on Instagram, so follow at Altus Performance, and you can also follow on Twitter at Team Altus. If you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review, share it with others, and be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of Earn Your Edge. Thanks for listening.